As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Hello everybody and welcome once again to The View from the Lane, the award-winning Tottenham Club podcast from The Athletic. Joining me, host Danny Kelly, are The Athletic's Charlie Eccleshare and James Moore. Hello everyone. Um, on today's episode, we'll discuss uh, an utterly insane match at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. We'll take your questions on the result and what it means in a little while. Um, I know everyone's got their view on this um, and I'm really, I totally understand it. It's possible to have all kinds of views. I'll open my own batting with, why is it always fucking Chelsea? I mean, you can, you might see a game like that against Wolves or Nottingham Pork Butchers or whoever. It's always fucking Chelsea. And I predicted this on national radio Monday when I said, you know, this game always Spurs find a more extraordinary way to get themselves beaten, often by inferior an inferior Chelsea team as they did uh, let me, uh, Charlie, you were there. Is it the strangest game you've ever seen? That, of course, Martin McGrath was straight in with that question um, on Twitter. Yeah, it's definitely one of them. It's, it's hard because in the moment, obviously, the recency bias makes you think, yeah, absolutely was the strangest game. Uh, I mean, the sad thing is, obviously, the, the pro- there isn't much precedent for that, even in the last few years, for that extent of kind of VAR confusion and how l- all of that kind of crap. Um, but yeah, I guess any game with... Two, two pretty early red cards to be down to nine yeah. men after 55 minutes is pretty unusual that volume of goals disallowed then the way Spurs played with nine men all of those things is definitely one of the the, the weirdest matches I can remember it's funny as well because before the game I said no, you know no result would massively surprise me but that surprise the way it played the way it panned out I mean Jesus I don't think anyone was expecting that the first half um, let me get this. Let me do the mathematics. Twenty-three minutes of play, thirty-four minutes of officiating. I mean, that is not a, the game that I recognise. I'm not blaming the officials. You know, the, the players got got it going. James, what, what what's your opening salvo? What did you make of the whole event? I, I'm not sure. It wasn't necessarily the weirdest game I've ever been to. I, I can't think of what's been more weird, but I feel like there must have been. You go to Kingstonian, so it's possible. Yeah. Oh well, yeah, there must have been weird shit there. Um. 
on the way out of the ground, we were talking about that. Ro- I wasn't actually at this game, but that Rochdale Cup replay at Wembley in the snow. In the snow, where it, it was early, early days of VAR. In fact, I think maybe the first game Spurs had played with VAR, maybe. Probably would have been because that it was they like were January, trialing February, it. Yeah, January February yeah. twenty eighteen. Yeah, they didn't, they didn't have it in the Premier League, and were, the, the stoppages there were just crazy. And obviously, we weren't at all used to it. And actually, to be honest, I haven't really got used to it since. I was going to say, great that they've sorted it out since. Yeah. Can you imagine VAR chaos? Well done, Howard. <laughs> yeah, look, I mean, I, I think the, the big decisions in the game, the officials between them eventually got right. By which I mean the, the two red cards. Uh, I, I think the referee did. Miss, I oh know he didn't. He gave he gave you doggy straight away, didn't he? But all, all the VAR decisions that he missed, right? They were all things that he missed that then he got wrong and then were called back. There was the die disallowed goal was correctly ruled out, didn't have to be. Overruled. Oh yeah, sorry, I'm talking about the referee. Right. It just felt I, it felt like uh, Michael Oliver was not kind of uh, on top of the game, even if even if all those decisions, the major decisions were eventually correct. Um, yeah, it was it was obviously a, a bonkers game. Uh, it did it did have that air, and I don't know if it was just because it was Chelsea, but it did have that air of a game where weird stuff was going to happen. Well, the the build up with 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 the return of Pochettino, all of that heightened a game that's already far too emotional. I'm not sure about that. Okay. I, I'm not. I'm not sure. About, well, I, I mean, I think many of those players, the atmosphere in the stadium, I didn't think was vastly different or massively different no. to it had been against like Manchester United or Liverpool. And if you look at that starting eleven, of that starting eleven, would it have only been Son that would have played under Pochettino? Probably yes, yes. I would have thought. Yeah. So it's not like it, you know it was a group of players who were distracted by their former manager, someone they previously been very close with, being in the opposition dugout. I don't really think that was a factor. So you know the Romero, the Romero red card is a thing that he could do in any game against anybody. <laughs> you're talking. You're talking. We've seen put himself in a difficult situation with an early yellow card in at least two other games this season against the top sides. So, I'm not. I'm not really sure this is that drastically different. And it, to me, it feels like a lot of little things that have been slight worries in the background over the last ten, eleven weeks all came home to roost at the same time. Romero getting sent off. Udogi getting a second yellow card. That. Uh, method of defending high being exposed obviously without van der ven which i'm sure we'll and, come well on to. and the squad depth and, and the squad depth right all of that has come home to roost Spurs have been slightly fortunate you know they they had the the rubber the green hugely against liverpool uh they i mean you don't expect to be losing deep into it added on time against sheffield united and win um even the game against luton you could argue they got their fair share of fortune um, but if it's all, all come back in one game, and of course it was against Chelsea, I, I found it. I found it heartbreaking myself. Um, and of course, Chelsea fans will love that, and that's that, that's the nature of the game. But also, Danny, whether it was the Pochettino factor or not, I, and I, I know what you're saying, James, that it you know it wasn't unprecedented, but they weren't a team who looked in control in the first 25 minutes. Who Spurs and, or Chelsea? Spurs, and what, well, as in what was so frustrating, I think, was that they went ahead, Son. I mean, what I find so crazy about all of this is we're talking millimetres. Had Son scored that goal, Spurs would have been 2-0 up. I think they could well have been about 3 up by half-time. And I think this morning we'd be saying, Spurs could win the league. Spurs, we've got to talk about Spurs as title contenders. They've just battered Chelsea. Why can't they win it? I, I really thought it was heading that way when, they, when I thought it was 2-0. And the way they were playing, you know, I think Liam, my Chelsea colleague, wrote in our blog that um, it felt like a second was inevitable. It really felt like it was coming. But then things like Udogi... 
That's an out-of-control challenge. And, and wh- whether you think it should or shouldn't be a red, I wouldn't have been at all surprised in the age of VAR if that had been a red. We've seen plenty of reds given for that. He, he is out of control and both his feet leave the ground. Romero goes and kicks a guy, gets a reprieve. He loses his head, doesn't even nearly relocate it for the whole time he's on the pitch. And I, and I think, look, we, we've praised Postacoglu to the hill and we we will continue to do so on this podcast today's episode because he did some really great things but you know I think we need to be fair and say that was a team that came out and didn't show sufficient control in those early moments and as a result of that have lost a game whether you think it's his fault or not but I think we'd be praising him if they'd come out and were really up for it we'd be saying he's got into them perfectly prepared them I think in this match for the first time and whether it's just the players going rogue or whatever they they did look like they they were just too het up, and I think it cost them big time. I mean, there, there's a, a part of this that reflects the game at St James's um, between Arsenal and Newcastle, um, at the, you know the, the the Arteta outburst match, and that is if you take the Udogi tackle and equate it to the Havertz tackle, the players seem to me now in the Premier League have got it into their minds that if they don't get the red cards given for the tackles they feel are are, are not right. That then it's it's open season. You can forearm people in the head. In both games, it happened, and that will be ignored. Um, you can everybody's um, tackling got, got. I mean, you know, it's London derby. I expect it to be fiercely fought. I don't want it to be um, anodyne and sanitised. But you know, you're right. Spurs Spurs's players caused the issue here with, with the with the way two of them went about their work. And James, at the end of the game, forgive me, um, because I wasn't there, of course, um, there's a lot being made about how positive Spurs fans have been. And I've looked at the mailbag uh, in our own email. Um, Spurs fans are immensely proud of the team. Um, I, don't, I don't understand that. I've got to be honest, because our Udogi and Romero are not part of the team. Well, yeah, but I mean, I think it's fine to reflect on the performance of the other nine players that are on the pitch or that however many players were playing in that About last... 40, yeah. Yeah, however many they used. Even Eric Dyer got a run out. Yeah, and, and he equipped himself incredibly well, right, for a player who hasn't played at all this season up to now. You know, Hoiberg, I thought, did really well at centre-back as well, and I'm not sure how many times he's played there. I'm sure Charlie's going to say he played there for Denmark against <laughs> Algeria or wherever. The Faroe Islands. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, I, I, I don't think it's unreasonable to praise the performance of that team on the basis of the last, whatever it was, probably forty-five minutes, but after the second red card, including all the added time, I thought it was. A, I thought it was a pretty good performance on the basis of that. I mean, I know there's been a lot of chat about the high line and it being naive or, or, or you know, inappropriate or not suitable for that kind of situation. But you only have to go back what, like six, seven weeks of a Liverpool game to see the other end of a scale in terms of how you defend when you have nine players. And yes. It took Spurs until the 95th minute to score and it was an own goal right you know, in the last 30 seconds of the game in that instance. But Liverpool were camped in their six-yard box pretty much for more or less the duration of a game or more or less the duration of a game where they had nine players. You know, Salah came off, all the four players came off. Uh, Darwin Nunes was sat on the bench and I think he came on at all. And Spurs were just able to camp Liverpool in their box and, you know, float balls in there constantly. You know, that was without Madison and Son, by the way, if you remember. So they had no creativity. And even then, they eventually scored. You know, Charlie wrote in his piece, it's very hard to imagine that had Spurs sat in 
Chelsea wouldn't have forced a goal like that one way or another, be it in the 95th minute or the 57th minute or whatever. And to me, you can sit and wait to concede like that and then, you know, and basically do what Spurs have done over the last four years and kind of hope for the best. Or you can go out and try and affect the game try and cause Chelsea problems, try and catch them offside, try and force them into positions they're not comfortable with, try to get the ball up the pitch, which is what Spurs did, and still create opportunities. Um, and I think in XG terms, the game was, it was like sort of 3.6 to Chelsea, one uh, 0.8 to Spurs or something like that. And, you know, so it's obviously one, not one-sided game, but, you know, quite extreme in terms of XG. But, you know, Spurs were in the game in the 93rd minute and had that Son chance. And, you know, Son, if Son equalised, you know, you'd say Son scores that chance one time in three or four, maybe? He did. He missed he miss it. Yeah, he's obviously absolutely shattered. I mean, yeah. Uh, you know, he scores that goal, it's 2-2. You think it's an absolute masterstroke. I think, I think there are a couple of things. I think one is the sort of longer-term benefits of continuing to play the way they did. And after the game, I got messages from people who followed Postcoglu with Celtic and his Brisbane Raw team. And they both cited games similar to this. Celtic, it was a 4-0 loss to Leverkusen. At Brisbane, it was a 3-0 loss to Melbourne Victory. Similar, where they lost heavily and you know kind of got slated for the na- naivety, stubbornness, whatever you want to call it. But it really crystallised a lot of ideas amongst the players, amongst the fans that, okay, this guy really isn't going to compromise. So I think there's that longer-term benefit. So that's one thing. But I think even, as James says... When you're down to nine men after 55 minutes, there is a huge, huge chance you're going to lose that game, however you play. Overwhelmingly. It must be like, I don't know, 90-odd percent you're going to lose it. So probably more. So the fact that Spurs, in the 93rd minute, had Son going through to equalise, and they had that Bentoncourt chance just before, you know, an opening. They had the Eric Dyer-Dislau goal. I actually think whether you... Whatever you think of the tactics, it worked bloody well. I mean, imagine if imagine if Spurs had set everyone behind the ball and then ended up with those chances. You'd be saying, "Wow, what a great way to play with nine men." So, even the you know, it's not even like we're just talking about. Well, they you know they gave it a good go. It worked about as well as I think you can. They lost any four one, Charlie. It didn't work, Charlie. That's the problem. It didn't work. No, it didn't. No. no, it didn't. Look, but I don't think anything would have. No, no, I, and I think it worked about as well, about as well as any tactic could have done. In that you have Son running through in the ninety-third minute. I think any Spurs fan would have bitten your hand off for that after fifty-five minutes. I would rather lose the way Spurs lost last night than lose the way Liverpool lost six weeks ago. You know, I'm going against all my own principles here. I want them to be on the front foot to give themselves a chance of winning. Um, and I'm not being wise after the event. I, I, when I saw the way they were playing on the halfway line, um, and I can't get it. She, she's doing a podcast, so I'll get the lady wife in here. I saw that Spurs are going to concede four here. I've worked out the exact number of times they were going to concede because Chelsea are not very good. It would have been seven against Manchester City. But here's the issue. Um, and again, I don't disagree with what everything you say. I think I'm perfectly um, entitled to say that they're right. Um, two things about it. One, you know, you end up with Hoiberg and Dyer, a centre-back, two players who have been criticised, not to say dug out, for a lack of mobility. To, to put them into that system was unfair, in my opinion. The secondly, the thing afterwards where Ange says, if we go down to five, mate, we'll still be having a go. That's fine. That's good. That's great for the, for the journalists and all the rest of it. But, and of course, strategically... I hear it. We we what he wants to be, uh, even after those heavy defeats you described. Was it for Melbourne and and for Celtic? 
We're going to play a certain way. But, right, let's be honest, part of managing is re is reacting to things that happen within football matches. Now, he, he would argue that's how I reacted. Um, whether it gave Spurs the best chance to get a point, and, you know, they nearly did get a point. I admit that, Charlie. They nearly did get a point at one stage. I'm not so sure. And I didn't like the speech afterwards where saying that's how we're always going to do it the same way because I tell you who would love that speech, every other Premier League manager rubbing their hands together, talking to their tactical analysts going, so we know what they're going to do. That gives us a huge advantage in every game. We're not Manchester City. Everyone knows what Manchester City are going to do, but no one can stop it. But I think there are two things with that, Danny. One is that... It didn't work, but I think, as I say, it worked. We don't we don't know the counterfactual, but I genuinely think it worked about ha being two one down and having a son chance in the third minute is about as good an outcome as you're going to get from that. But also on the point about you know your it's unfair on Hoybier and Dyer, that's how he wants to play. He's got two centre backs who are going to be out for a long, long time. He's going to need Eric Dyer a lot. What does it do for Eric Dyer's confidence if he says actually you know the way we've been playing all this time? Fuck that. We can't do it with Eric Dyer in the team. Well, well, what do you then do against Wolves? That's how he's going to play. Dyer's going to have to adapt. How well was Eric Dyer playing? on the back foot for the last like two or three years. Like for the most part, he's playing really badly. He played much better last night playing in a high line than he had done previously playing like on a back foot doing or defending in a six yard box. I'm not sure I agree. I mean, we're, we're, this is good. He definitely did. No, he definitely no, did. No, 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 I don't agree. And because he, he didn't play at all in that, in that high line. Spurs just stood there and, and relied exclusively on Chelsea's ineptitude at making a simple pass over the top of the defence work. And, you know, at one stage they had Jackson, Mudrick and Sterling on the pitch. They've got all the pace in the world. All it requires is Chelsea's players to stand one foot in their own half and play the ball over the top. All three of those players would have killed Hoiberg and Dyer for pace. It was it was daft. Now, well done Vicario, who, who may have to play centre-half, I think, after that display at Wolves, um, forced to come play in goal. It'd be Dyer and Vicario centre-half looking at that. Um, because he clearly can see see danger. He knows how to intercept a ball. And, Christian, he knows how to intercept the ball without making the referee have to think about every single decision. But I'm really surprised, that because I think we've been, like, you know, under Conte, We I know, obviously, the argument is there's a happy medium, but we knew this is how Postacoglu... I said, I, I said exactly this. There would be a game where he was called naive and he was called, you've got, and it was said, you've got to be pragmatic, you've got to compromise. He's not going to do that. And he does really believe this is the way to win matches. I think, as I said, we can argue this, but as I said, I think last night, the way he played with nine worked very well, results-wise, to, to be where they were in the 93rd minute. But that's how he wants to play. And I think, you know, and it will be really interesting because what does he do with Eric Dyer? We've said this from the start, that selling Davinson Sanchez was a big risk. And it looks like now they're going to have to deal without that for some time. But I do, but I do think if you straight away put Dyer on and say we're abandoning everything because Dyer, Eric Dyer can't play in this system, I think that shatters his confidence ahead of a period where you're going to need him. That that would be true, Charlie. If Eric Dyer replaced Romero for tactical reasons, let's say because and it was eleven against eleven, of course that would be daft. But that wasn't the situation. In the game it was a unique situation, um, and I'm I, I still think that you know. I'm not. I'm not against what you're saying, but I don't. I. I'm not sure that what Spurs did did anything other than. And you're going to say Son was going through in the 93rd minute. I mean, the game, of course, lasted a long, a lot longer than 93 minutes. Um, I, I don't think it gave them gave themselves the best chance. The courage of the individual players, Dyer included, Vicario, Porro, all of them, um, can't be can't be questioned. 
my worry about that is everyone is praising them and all the rest of it on the back of a 4-1 defeat. Now, I know that the late goals were almost irrelevant, but, you know, you we you have a heavy defeat in ridiculous circumstances being praised to high heavens. That, to me, is not a recipe for success long-term. But, of course, this isn't about long-term because it was a one-off game where I think it's fair to say everything that could have gone wrong for Spurs went wrong, except, of course, that both Dyer, uh, sorry, both um, Doggy and... Romero under another day under another referee might have been gone before they did you know we could have been playing with nine men for 70 minutes you know but well, well, what do you expect the reaction to be though at the end of that game like if you're, you're at the game you know you've seen nine players put in an incredible shift really regardless of not whether you disagree with the tactics like the players have executed them pretty well for the most part uh from the 55th minute onwards like w- what is the reaction from the fans supposed to be I, I I don't know. I wasn't there. I mean, I, 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 the fans the fans can cheer the, the 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 nine that are on the pitch. Yes, that that seems fine to me. I mean, I feel like we're kind of in violent agreement in the sense that don't we think that the first fifty five minutes was terrible and the mistakes made then really cost Spurs and they should get criticism for that because that wasn't good enough and you just can't make errors like that. But after that, the players that were on the pitch played their absolute hearts out. And it's fine to praise them for that. And I, I also think, Danny, in, 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 thinking about the long term, what Postacoglu always says is he doesn't... And, and again, people have different views on this. Some might think it's posturing. I don't think it is. I think it's genuine. He says he doesn't get a huge amount of satisfaction from nicking a result because you don't learn anything. It, it, it's not sustainable. You know, if, if they had put... And I'm not saying I agree with this necessarily, but if they had put everyone behind the ball, somehow scraped their way to a point, it would have felt brilliant in the moment. I don't think he, would, he wouldn't have felt that he'd learned a huge amount of his team because that's not something he's ever going to want to repeat, really. Whereas he would feel he's learned something from last night. He's learned that some of these players, they can adapt. They can play the way he wants to play. They've learned that he's not going to compromise, that they need to, to learn. They need to be able to play that way if you are Eric Dyer or whoever. And I think someone like Eric Dyer would have got a huge amount out of last night. It would have tested him in a, in a massive way. But I also think he'll have learned a lot. And I think Postacoglu will feel he's learned more from his team than he would have done if he'd shoved everyone behind the ball. Let's get down to individuals. What was Romero up to? Because if that was the only thing that had gone wrong in the game for him, um, you know, I could I could hear Glenn Hoddle saying, what are you supposed to do? If you have to go in hard for the ball, your momentum will take you into the opposition player. We didn't think it was a proper red card when Curtis Jones got sent off, but that was arguably a similar sort of situation. Although in, in this case, I think Romero got more of the ball. Um, but he was going to get a red card in the modern game, but he'd already kicked someone. I mean, what on earth was, was he doing? Does anyone have any any idea what, what he thought he was doing? Well, he, he from the moment he goes up like a really big header in sort of in the Chelsea third and then just goes charging around, kicks out. I, I mean, look, we, we've heard so much about how he's matured this season. He's been a great vice captain and... You know, we hoped he'd sort of put that side of his game. Hey, but you wrote that, mate. Well, yeah, I say we heard. I, I, I wrote it. Heard from me, but I'd, you know, I was just relaying what, what I'd been told. <laughs> Don't take the messenger. Don't take the messenger. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, no, look, I mean, th- but there's always that. Re- you know, you just always wonder: is he, is he ever really going to change? And you know, it, it's basically four games of the season he's already missing. 10% of the league season. If he gets one more straight red, wouldn't rule that out. That's another four games because you get an additional game. 
it's just it's he really let his team down. It's really really not good enough. You just you can't do that sort of stuff. Like you've got to put put the team first. Get over yourself and your petty little gripes. It just looked like he he had some issues. He felt he'd been wronged in some way. So he goes kicking out and and like that Enzo Fernandez like why what are you doing just don't like you can win that the, what's even more frustrating about that is he does win the ball the ball's there to be won fine win it but he it's almost like he feels i've won the ball now i can just do whatever i want with impunity and you know you're not going to get away with that and i do wonder if the va if it factored into the var's thinking of he's maybe got away with one so if this was a kind of orange card let's go the red way i do wonder whether van der ven and i know there was a van der ven challenge in that whole thing I do wonder if that had been Van der Ven rather than Romero, whether he wouldn't have been sent off for that. Another another player, I think, maybe doesn't get sent off for that. I'm not saying he shouldn't have been sent off for it, but I think I think there are other players that get away with that. But I also think it's sometimes incumbent on referees to take the temperature of a game and try and understand what's gone on. He only has himself to blame, by the way, for having a reputation that means that that's the case. Exactly. And I think if you've got a feel for that game, you probably get a sense of, I think Romero might have lost his head here. Whereas if it was Van der yeah, Ven, you exactly, might give yeah, him the benefit yeah. of the doubt of that looks like a, a miscalculation. I also think, and I've, who knows, but I don't think it helped, you know, Van der Ven, I'm not blaming Romero for Van der Ven's injury, but Van der Ven, it's a, it's a difficult, it's a, it's a harder job he's then got to do with Romero off the pitch. And for him then to get injured for that double, for that, you know, and again, just letting your teammates down. Van der Ven's then in a, in a, in a harder position and he then goes off injured. I'm no physi- physiologist. I mean, that's that's literally true. Um, I, I wonder whether, since we're talking about every possible aspect of, a, of what turns out to be a highly praised disaster, in my opinion, Van der Ven's hamstring, I'm, I'm not a doctor. It cannot have been helped by standing around for VAR decisions for five and six minutes at a time. Yeah, th- this was something I put on our um, uh, work uh, Slack yesterday. That, that was a, I'm a not few allowed in that. Suggested that. No, you're absolutely not, Danny. Um, but yeah, and who knows? I mean, I'm sure a lot of that is also people like you without medical qualifications speculating. It sounds logical to someone like me who who isn't an expert. Um, but what can you do? I mean, they're not going to, you know, that they're clearly, that's not going to be something that features into their thinking. It's just another bit of collateral damage from from this system that we have. It's gone now. It's only three points. The, the long-term... Issues are, you know, we're facing to a game against Wolves. I'll, 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 put, I'll throw it to you. I mean, Greg Jenner, um, great follower of the podcast. Hello, Greg. I hope being as funny as he often is, says, can Richarlison do a job at centre-back? Well, we know he's decent in the air. <laughs> I mean, who is going to play against Wolves across the back four? I'm throwing this hand grenade to you, James. It's hard to see beyond the four that ended the game last night, right? Davis could, Davis could be back. Let's put it this way. I, I, I would play Hoiberg at centre-back. Over Davis? I think so. I was like, uh, I think he might be better suited to this system. I, and I don't know. I just felt like it kind of brought out... The Viking the be- in it him. brought out the best in that him. That clearance yeah. off the line. Yeah, it just felt like it, it sort of suited him to be like... Of course, yeah. I think that game state definitely did, but I don't know if the position will... Yeah, m- m- maybe it's different. You know, you start start from the, the first minute at 0-0. Maybe that, maybe that isn't quite right, but... I don't know. I think if you if you're playing the game, if you're playing Angeball, you want players that can play it from the back. You want them to be able to push up a bit higher and then scurry back. I I, I don't know. But just something about him that makes me think that might be a slightly better fit. I, I mean, I know it's insane. It is. Um, yeah. <laughs> but then who else do you play? You know, we heard all this chat about Phillips and 
Uh, yeah, you know, Phillips being ahead of Dyer in the pecking order, and maybe we will see him, see him over the next few weeks. But obviously, Dyer was uh, clearly higher last night. I mean, I think if Ben Davis is fit, or Benny Davis, as Poster Cogley called him last week, I think he's got to play there. Like he, because he played as a centre back in a two for Poster Cogley quite a lot on the tour, because that was obviously before Van der Ven had come in. I think you've got to go Davis and Dyer. Uh, I mean, you you could even then make the argument, and I wouldn't do this, and I'm sure Ange wouldn't. Do you bring Hoybier into midfield to stiffen it up and protect that back for a little bit? I don't. Think, I don't think that's how he thinks. If Madison's not fit. He's got a choice between you know Lacelso, I guess, playing in that position. Benton Kerr, or do you put Benton Kerr in just to improve into improve like ball retention, maybe? Which again, like obviously, got completely lost. It was about a billionth in the order of stories. But Benton Kerr coming on and playing well was encouraging he looked really good kept you know showed some nice touches nearly scored I mean that's huge but it's just so classic with football isn't it that you're you go from thinking we've got a really good team and Benton is coming back and how are we going to look and then you're you just get shredded by injuries and suspensions and you're right Charlie and I'm really in a you're right Charlie but mode aren't I you're right Charlie <laughs> yeah. but um you know when you looked at the squad of 25 um and one or two juniors Starts. We all said if anything happens to one of the centre halves, they're struggling, and Madison is the is the obvious creative force in this team. Um, so the football gods, they they are not so kind as to let Spurs get through the whole first half of the season without anything happening to one of the centre halves. As it happens, both of them are now out for, I suppose, uh, God knows how. I mean, Van der Ven, I don't know. Again, I'm not a doctor. Can't stress that enough. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Well, because because otherwise people will start saying you said and you bring him back now. For a person who relies on speed to have a hamstring injury, and of course it could only be a third degree tear. You know, we'll get into all that now, won't we? Um, of course, this has come back to bite them uh, in the arse. No other way of putting it. It was one of those games where you can see, even if the psychological damage is limited by the support of the fans. Actually, at the end, you know, um, even if I was shaking my head and going, "What the hell was that?" Um, lots of people take a different point of view. And I, I have to say, it's not an unfamiliar position for me. There is the knock-on of having to you know, build a, a, a makeshift defence now for some, you know, all away games are difficult in the Premier League and, you know, Manchester City cometh, all the rest of it. Very, very, um, I think, I think, I wonder whether we'll be looking back in three or four months' time as, as this game being yet another Game against Chelsea, it turns out to be the turning point in Spurs this season. Yeah, I, I feel like one way or another, yeah, it's going to be either the moment that it all started to unravel more through injuries than anything else or suspensions, uh, or the thing that really galvanised the the group. And you know, we, we've talked before about the importance of the the fringe players feeling like they had value and their moment would come. Well. It's going to come for at least two of them in the next three games or so. So it's sort of sink or swim now, isn't it? For guys like Dyer and Hoiberg, really. I, I I think that's right, though. I do. I can imagine a world in which you know we we do praise Postecoglou and Spurs for continuing to do to play how they wanted to, and it 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 was a real kind of epiphany for them. But on the other hand, I, I said this to James this morning. I think had they just lost the game four one, and as you say, Danny taken positives out of it whether you think those are justified or not that would be one thing it is the fact there's such an obvious legacy you can't just put this in a box and forget about it because you've lost players as a result and you know that that does have a big knock-on effect 
This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League 1? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Welcome back to the view from the lane. Still um, picking through the smouldering wreckage of uh, what happened at White Hart, the Spurs Stadium last night. So I'm Danny Kelly, Charlie Eccleshow, and James Moore here with me. A couple of bits of news for you. Uh, Troy Parrott in his last four games for Excelsior Rotterdam. He's only been on the pitch for 65 minutes. He's got three goals. That's a goal every 21.6 minutes uh, in his four substitute appearances. Pat Jennings, um, legendary Spurs goalkeeper. Um, collapsed at the ground last night. I'm told uh, by sources that he is fine. Went to the hospital, had a checkup, just a momentary lapse. That's good too. Um, now, Spurs got got within a, a Benton Kerr header, a Son shot, and a disallowed belter from Eric Dyer from winning that game. Never mind drawing it, winning it twice in the Premier League era. Um, has teams had a, at some stage nine players on the pitch and um, gone on to win the game. Would you, either of you, care to essay who those teams were, when and where? Um, I, I, I feel like I should know this. I, I reckon there's going to be one where like the red cards are after the goal or, like, or one of the red cards is right at the end of the game or something. Or if it's like 9v10 or something, yeah. The, the earliest of those red this is not a, a, a like-for-like comparison, the earliest of those red cards was after 71 minutes. So they're all last quarter of the game, double red cards for teams. I'll give you the answers just for fun, yeah? Can I, I reckon they might be like Leeds. I'm just going to say Leeds. Well, Leeds is the answer to one of them. Oh! 2001. <laughs> wow! Two, no way! 2001, um, Dirty Leeds won at Arsenal. Um, having got red cards, Danny Mills, red got cards sent off, in the seventy seventh and eighty fifth minute, 
Um, that was in 2001, and a long time ago, in 1994. Wait, 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 wait. Coventry. Norwich. Fantastic guess. Both wrong, of course. Um, uh, in, a, in a preview, perhaps, of um, Aguero. Queens, Manchester City um, beat uh, Queens Park Rangers um, at Loftus Road, despite receiving red cards in the 71st and 78th minute. So not really any comparison, but there's the details. Well done, Leeds. Well done, Manchester City. And I mean old money Manchester City, not the current sparkly lot. Um, Richarlison has had another conversation. Um, he not picked him recently for Brazil, albeit what a good game to miss. Brazil have been shocking in their latest round of World Cup qualifiers. Um, and uh, he, he said, I'll definitely be back, says Richarlison. I didn't get here by chance. It's up to me to work hard every day and get into a rhythm here at Tottenham. Of course, I was hoping to play here versus Chelsea uh, in an important game, a derby. Yesterday, I was told that I wouldn't be playing, but that's part of football. The last few months haven't been easy for me. I've had health problems. I've already spoken to the doctors and soon I would do surgery on my pubis. I've been suffering, fighting for my national team and my club for eight months and haven't been taking care of myself. It's time to rest, to stop for a second. Um, quite pretty extraordinary stuff. I mean, he may also not be a qualified medical, um, saying that he needs he needs surgery now. Who knows what he's been told? What did you make of that, Charlie? He needs to speak to you. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I mean, again, yeah. As we know, um, Richardson's very open uh, in his interviews. Uh, yeah. I mean, hope the sense I get speaking to Zhao, uh, who who did that interview, um, for ESPN Brazil, is that. They he hopes to do it. The sense is that he'll do it kind of during the international break, and hopefully it will be sorted reasonably quickly. Um, but it, you know, it might explain why he's had some of the struggles he's had. We already had Son last season, who revealed at the end of the year that he'd basically been struggling with an issue all season. I think we underestimate how often that is the case for players. Players always say they're very rarely not carrying something or other. So just just hope it is a, a quick recovery for him, and he feels a lot better after. And I think maybe it is, for, you know, that he hasn't been selected. It means he's got the window to do it because otherwise there's just never a break for these players. And I was thinking of James Madison and as desperate as Spurs will be to have him back for the Wolves game, at least if he doesn't play, he might then get two weeks off from the internationals. And the sense I get on Madison is that he's been carrying things basically all season as well and and, and just has, has been making himself available for the games and getting through them, but not a lot more. So I feel like he needs a, a similar kind of break. Well, I mean, I've just looked up online what the pubis is. So now I'm more of a medical expert than I was at the start of the show. And I think, you know, all we can do is try and learn each day. Yeah, it's crazy. It takes six years to do a medical degree. You seem to be doing it a lot quicker than that. I just say as well, because I know we don't have time and we've talked VAR to death, but I did think Postacoglu's comments were incredibly insightful uh, yesterday and were worth looking them up if you haven't heard them already. I feel like this was a bit of a tipping point for for some people last night. I mean, a, a lot of us have, were probably there already, but I think those maybe were on the fence. There was a great tweet last night from George Ellick um, saying, this is like watching a Black Mirror episode about football. And it did kind of have that feel. Listen, thank you, you two. I'll see you two tomorrow for the live show. Um, I hope, which won't be too affected by um, the the state my mind is in after that game against Chelsea. Um, we could have talked about it for two hours. That wouldn't be fair on you or the dogs you are walking. Um, let me remind you, of course, as I always do at this stage, 
um, that the show has its own official home on Twitter now at VFTL Podcast. Or you can email us, of course, as many of you have done after the game last night at VFTL at theathletic.com. And for the best Spurs coverage anywhere, a lot of it commissioned by James Moore, who deserves all the credit. Uh, make sure you sign up to The Athletic. Take advantage of our latest offer of just one ninety nine a month for 12 months. Simply go to theathletic.com forward slash Spurs pod to subscribe. Well, there always comes a bump in the road. It's how we get over it that counts. Bless you all. See you next time. The Athletic.